All right. So one of my friends, Suze, asked me a question the other day. I thought it was pretty interesting. If you drank half of a five-hour energy, do you have full energy for two and a half hours or do you have half energy for five hours? Um, you would have... Yeah. Yeah. Well, That's... crap. Well, that gets into like... I mean, there's a physio- physiological that gets into principle, some, like, I'm sure. Like enzyme kinetics and stuff. Yeah, but gut gut instinct. What are you saying? Gut instinct. I think you have a peak level of of like caffeine intake that you're not gonna reach if you don't like drink that whole five hour energy. Okay, so you you're repeat, saying repeat. Wait, repeat the answers again. <laughs> what are my options? Half energy for five hours, or full energy for two and a half hours. Half energy for five hours. I think caffeine stays in your system a good bit. Okay. Longer than what people think. That's interesting. Final answer. All right. I, I don't disagree, but also I said the opposite. I hope you, I wish you had an answer for it, <laughs> like, so that we would know. We tried to look it up quickly at work, but there's a, there's a lot of principles out there that explain how both could be possible. Man, that's the worst, isn't it? Yeah, we're going to, it's going to take a lot of research to figure it out. Well, welcome to Unprepared Episode 3. We got a lot of things to talk about today, Mason. You did that as I was smacking my lips, but we do. We got a, a full list. Well, full. Use that term loosely, okay? <laughs> yeah. This is, Very, this is unprepared. Extremely loosely. By loose, you mean like a few words <laughs> <laughs> that right now I can see. <laughs> so me and Mason have these notes that we share and I can see him live editing it as we're speaking. <laughs> it's got four words and somebody's name. Yeah. It's actually hilarious. Cause I don't know what that means. I'm kind of excited to find out. Well, but I, before we talk about any of that, I, well, actually, I do want to talk about one thing that's on the list right now. Here we go. And I'm going to say it wrong, so correct me. It looks like Saudade. Oh, I, that sounds better than the way I would pronounce it. it, it what, Saudade? <laughs> Saudade? I would say Saudade, but that might be the Deep South version. Sounds like Deep South version. But what, okay, it's... S-A-U-D-A-D-E. It's a mm-hmm. term I've never heard before, but Mason has it in the notes, and I have no idea what it means. Yeah. It's, we're going to go deep quick. So, saudade, right or however you pronounce it, is actually a Portuguese word. Okay. There's, there's not an English translation at all. Um, oh, I love these. Yeah. There's a lot so, of those. Super cool. Yeah, there's a ton of words out there that don't translate to English, and it's the most frustrating thing. But yeah, this English is, sucks. But yeah, continue. This is one of them, and it's so the background of it is this is supposedly in quotes a characteristic of Portuguese or Brazilian temperament, but it's an emotion or a feeling of longing, melancholy, or nostalgia. That it's like this deep emotional state. And you're longing for something that's absent. Um, but it's like a deeper level of nostalgia that we feel. I see it's, why you picked this word. 
Yeah, and so it kind of like goes back to episode one a little bit. Yeah. But a lot of times it's like associated with, I say a lot of times, I can't, I don't have any proof behind that, but there's like an associated sickness with it. It triggers senses and it makes one experience pain of separation from joyous sensations of the past. Oh, so it's an actual medical condition? No, not an actual medical condition. It's an emotional state that, I mean... I but guess. like, does it? But is it? Was it talking about it in terms of it has actual physical ailments? Um, I don't know. Or was it just like loosely saying, loosely pain saying from, that you have a sense of of pain from yeah. not experiencing the past that you have like nostalgia for? Right. Exactly. Okay. So you're. Currently experiencing pain because you long so much mm-hmm. for joy of the past. Yeah, or, and, and even if not, even if it's not pain, it's like just sadness, basically. Right. Exactly. So, dude, Rosalie would relate to this so much. Yeah, I and, I'm not exaggerating when I say that there's been multiple occasions where she has actually brought herself to tears thinking about a <laughs> past occasion. I've. I'll Anybody admit. out here who knows Rosalie personally, that won't surprise you. But just know that that applies very heavily to her. That might be the biggest thing that I have in common with Rosa. I told you that y'all have a lot in common. No, shut up. No, we don't. <laughs> but we have that. Yeah, you have saudade. So, Because it, it happens so strongly in me for so many different parts of my life, but... Recently, You're a very nostalgic person. Yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. And I brought this word up to you recently when we were at the beach together, and you had no idea what I was talking about. So I figured yeah. it'd be good to revisit. But yeah. it kind of leads you to this other thing that I found. So the Portuguese have this that doesn't translate to English because we don't necessarily experience it the same way. I was listening to a TED Talk, or it was like a series of TED Talks, really. Classic. Yeah, they're so good. Mm-hmm. Um. But it was this, I think she was English, English researcher. And she was talking about how emotions aren't hardwired in our brain. They're not something that we just have inherently. They're learned. Exactly. And yeah, I feel like that's not a stretch to think about. But in our everyday life, we're probably just assuming. I feel like that's really hard to prove. Yeah, it is. But... There's she actually goes through a series of studies about that and the way that I don't want to misquote it. Just go listen to the TED talk. But she was talking about cultural differences as well. In that when you look within a culture, everybody experiences these emotions differently mm-hmm. at different thresholds, I guess. Or their but I would make, but I would make the argument that although different emotions are expressed by different cultures, there are the, like the the five I think it's five or whatever it might be seven of the common emotions experienced by all cultures oh that's that's probably true you see what, you see what I'm saying yeah. but I, I, I'm sure she's fully aware of that I want to hear what she would have to say about that you know what I mean? I'll let you look it up because she was talking about yeah. gosh I can't remember which country it was how they don't experience sadness in the same way or they don't even consider it quote sadness like in the same a sense as the vast different. world, yeah. Hmm. Whereas, and she brought up 
the Russian culture, they experience many levels of sadness and they have several different words to cover sadness because they can, they have different categories of it. Hmm. And yeah, so but she, then you get into the argument of like, is it, are we just talking about semantics here or is it an actual difference? Of, because now you're, it's kind of like, it's kind of like you're trying to connect the abstract subjective feeling that somebody has into mm-hmm. an objective statement of this is what this is. But how can you know that for certain? In other words, how can you know that even though we both live in the same culture, how do you know that what I ex- experience and label as happiness is the same thing as what you experience and label as happiness? I, I don't know. I guess it's the same thing as like color. How do you know that yeah. what I see as red looks the same to me as your red, you know? Yeah. And she kind of goes into that a little bit on the sense of when we are trying to read other people's emotions, of course we'd like to be sure that we know how to read people, but it is our best educated guess at that point based on our own personal experience. Mm. So the way that we read emotions is we look back on experiences we've had combined with reading other people's emotions in the past. And Mm. she kind of made the point is like it can lead to misreading emotion, which happens a lot. Yeah, for sure. Based on the fact that people express their emotions differently, probably because they experience the emotion differently. I want to see this video. You need to send me a link to it. It's it's so good. It's a podcast. I'll send it to you. Oh, okay, cool. If you had to give a TED talk, what do you think it would be? <laughs> Man, I don't know. Like at this stage in your life, even if you're not, of course, I know what you're going to say. You're not qualified to give a TED talk about anything. I'm not. I know that. But it's not about that. If you had to. Like what one thing would it be about? I would have no scientific evidence behind it, but it would probably probably be the emotional drive in relation to my own testimony. Oh, it doesn't have to be like a scientific dead talk. No, it doesn't. It would probably just be like my life story and how the human emotion factored into it so much. I would agree with that. Because Emotion propels me every day, and so it would probably be easy for me to tell my entire life story and how I got to where I was based on, like, not only gut instinct, but just me being propelled by that those feelings. Hmm. So that well, leads me to a – oh, you okay. got a question? No, 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 go for it. That's fine. No, if it's on this topic, you better ask it. Okay, because you're about to get off of it? Uh, it's another – road that runs parallel to this okay let me let me go ahead and ask it then just hold that thought for a second Please because do. i mean how did emotions get you where you are now like why is <laughs> why is that so important and how you got to where you are now and who you are now wow because i'll let you think about it but mm-hmm. not a lot of people would say that that's like you know, a pillar of their personality and who they are. And I think we can both name an example. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) probably. Yeah. Andrew. 
<laughs> well, I mean, I, him and amongst others, I could name a bunch, yeah. but I mean, the point is, it's like, there's a reason that you're saying that, you know? Yeah. I think the, me wanting to do, like if I ever did do that TED talk, I would want to do it because I think everybody should be in tune with that emotion. Because if, if you're not basing your decisions on your own emotions, what are you basing them off of? Your like, mind. Right. But does that not relate to emotion somewhat? Like some people may be propelled by what they feel like they have to do. And that's mm-hmm. based on pressures by people around them. And in certain, some instances, that's that's a fine answer. But I think the overarching theme of life, I don't think you should be motivated by other people pushing you to do things. It should be you wanting to do something. And then you kind of ask the question of why do I want to do that? And it may be your passions. It may be what you feel like your purpose is. It may be this or that. But I think okay. it's got to come from within you. And are you, to, do you think that people are missing out on that? You think people are not yeah. doing that? Like more so now than probably in other times? A hundred percent. I think people are motivated by by money. It's like, I'm going to make these life decisions based on how much money I can make. Which, again, I'm not judging those people because I, money can do a lot of things for you, but I don't think it leads to true joy. No, I would agree with that. Yeah. And so in order to achieve true joy, you have to kind of read yourself. And it's like, you just kind of evaluate yourself every single day. It was like, what can I do to bring myself joy? And your emotions play into that. You base it on past pain, past sadness, past failures, past successes even. It's like, I had joy in the past by doing these things. Can I recreate it? Or what similar steps did I take then can I use now to do a different task? Stuff like that. Okay. I can see how you could, given the time to, like, build a talk about that. Mm -hmm. It'd probably be pretty good. It's just I I want people to feel the same motivation I do. Not in the sense being motivated by the same things, but just have the same drive for things because mm-hmm. not saying I'm the most driven individual, but there's a lot of people that wake up every day and do, they go through their mundane life. Not but you're, com- you're saying you're comfortable with your driving factors. You're comfortable at least with the things that drive you to do what you do. A hundred percent. I'm very comfortable with them. So. And what no, makes me, what makes me uncomfortable is if you ask somebody like what drives you, what made a, motivates you, what are you passionate about? And the answer is, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, knowing I, you, it's like the, it's, it's kind of hard sometimes for you to make concrete statements like that. So I know that, I know that you believe it. Um, mm-hmm. I just know that like there's other areas where you wouldn't be so forthright in saying that. You would say, if I were to ask you, you know, do you feel comfortable in like where you are in your career right now? Do you feel adequately prepared to be where you're at? You would obviously say no, just because I know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. 
it's easier it's much easier for you to say that you're comfortable with what drives you to do what you do mm-hmm. than it is for you to say you're comfortable with how prepared you are to do said oh, thing definitely yeah and okay. the reason the reason that is is because I know my why I know why I do things and so that it doesn't matter how prepared I am in that moment because I know why I'm there. The reason I say that too is because I expect to fail and you make and justify failures through being not prepared and that's okay. I'm going to be more prepared next time, but I still know why I'm there. So you're comfortable with being unprepared. Yes. To an extent. A lot of people would disagree with that on a they, personal level. Yeah, I would I would agree with that too. Yeah. Anyways, I know we got off on a tangent, but you had something else that you wanted to bring up. Yeah, so we were talking about saudade being a Portuguese word that doesn't translate to English and me being propelled by my emotions and mm-hmm. being motivated for different reasons. There is something out there that was created by a man of the name John Koenig called the Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows, which sounds, which sounds really deep, but it's basically a collection of made up emotions or words that describe real emotion. So what I mean by that is he's created this catalog of emotions that he's felt and emotions that other people have sent into him and he's given them one word. So I'll give you an example. The word sonder, S-O-N-D-E-R, is a realization that each random passerby is living a life as vivid and as complex as your own. Both are populated with their own ambitions, friends, routines, worries, and inherited craziness that creates this story that you are just the extra walking past on the street. Hmm. So you're living this crazy lifestyle, chasing whatever dream you have, trying to get whatever money, trying to build this house, have this family, and you just pass this random stranger that, in reality, they don't mean anything to you. But the same is true on the other side. That's a very isolationist way of seeing the world. Yeah, but that's just one of the... Is that an actual term, though? Or is that just from that book? That's that's from his Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows. Okay, gotcha, okay. Um, and, I mean, the list goes on and on. That's very interesting. Is There's there like a one, long list? Yeah, he's turning it into a book. It's, right now it's just kind of like a website. Um, there's Lilo, L-I-L-O, a friendship that can lie dormant for years only to pick right back up instantly. As like if Lilo no, and Stitch. Yeah, exactly. As if no time had passed. I think everybody's experienced that. <laughs> Lilo yeah. and Stitch have even experienced it, I'm I think, sure. I think if you're fortunate enough to experience that, it's a great feeling. It's one of the truest forms of friendship, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I have, I have a, a friend in mind who I can always think of for, for this exact situation. Shout out to this person. You probably know who you are. We had a... Not a falling out, but he moved a long okay. time ago. And then we never, we never, we, we didn't speak that much, but we never were not friends. Okay. And then we reconnected recently. 
but yeah, it's a cool feeling. Yeah, for sure. I think if you played sports, your old teammates are probably that way too. Yeah, yeah, probably. I mean, if you have anything to an extent, I think anything like um, you know how like soldiers, there's there's like a camaraderie that soldiers have that me and you would never have because we're we've never experienced like death at the forefront. Mm -hmm. That's an exaggerated example of how this like if you go through something with somebody. Um, then you, what's the yeah. term Lilo? Yeah. Lilo. So if you go through some, like some, some crap with somebody. So fear bonding. Yeah. yeah. Then you'll get Lilo. For sure. Isn't that cool? So, I mean, that's a rabbit hole you can end up on, on the internet. If you want to look up the dictionary of obscure sorrows. I need to look that up. It's really cool. Man. Um, all this talk about emotions brings me to um, something that my, um, okay, I'm not going to say, an anonymous listener. That sounds cooler to say. Mm-hmm. An anonymous, anonymous to listener, me because I have no idea who you're talking about. No, you don't. Wanted me to go into um, our Enneagrams. Oh, gosh. And I know that you, you're not big. I don't think you're big into Enneagram. Like, you don't I'm, know. I'm not. I know what I am. And I know what Chris is, and that's about it. Okay. Well, I mean, that's enough. That's okay. fine. She wanted to... Man, I, I disclosed <laughs> one aspect of this person. <laughs> she wanted me and you to go into our Enneagrams and kind of, well, elaborate on how that makes us who we are and, like, I don't know, what we think about it. I have a guess of who the listener might be, but... Probably. Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> if you don't know anything about Enneagram, it's like a personality test that has it seems to me like it's been mostly in church circles. Would that be a stretch or I don't know enough about it to say yes or no. It seems to me like that's it's more of a Christian thing. I don't really know, but anyways, I discovered it and I discovered that it was absolutely accurate. To anybody who reads it, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a I'm an avid enneagram advocate for sure. Um, pull up yours and I'll pull up mine. Is there is there an accepted website to pull it up on, uh, or a preferred website? I guess. Um, you must go to the enneagraminstitute.com. Otherwise, it's not true. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, they're pretty much all. Good, I found I my way to Wikipedia. Know. Is that? It's probably I'm just fine. kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was about to let you. I don't care. Um, no, My, well, I'm I'm a top five to this person who wants to know, um, which is known as the investigator, and I guess it makes when it, when I discovered I was a top five, it was kind of relief because, you know, I guess I just always felt like I was kind of weird. And I am, but you know, there's other weird people like me. Um, so it says for the description, um, I'll just give a brief. Um, they're very alert, insightful, and curious. They're a cerebral type. They typically have problems with nihilism or isolation, but um, they're very good visionaries. And that makes me sound like a depressed visionary so there's that 
I'm not going to front with you. What? While you were reading that, I was also reading mine, so I have no, <laughs> I have no idea what you said. <laughs> I realized that you, for a second, I thought you might have been reading to an audience, which in the long run you were. Yeah, but I was in, also reading in it the to short, you. <laughs> in the immediate. You were not reading to an audience; you were reading to me. <laughs> that one's you're on just, me. Man, you're just so self-consumed. <laughs> that must be the achiever in me. Which brings us to our next point. What are you? I feel like I should respond to yours, but I'm going to have to go back and read it. What is the cheer? Is that is that a type six? Me? Yeah. No, I'm a type three. Oh, three. Okay. The achiever. All right. What is um, that? The first words on the page are success oriented. Of course. Yeah. Um, <laughs> attractive and charming. Can't disagree there. Well, I don't know about that. Um, ambitious, competent, energetic, overly concerned with their image and what others think of them. That's absolutely true. Yeah, it probably is true. Which is, makes me feel like a horrible individual. (laughs) Do you feel worse that I just like chimed in so quickly on that? Yeah, you did. I don't need your (laughs) asides. Oh man. I don't want people, I don't want people to think low of me, you know? At least I'm listening, Mason. (laughs) That one's on me, coach. Not that that makes me feel so bad. No, I'm just although I don't just want people to think bad of me, so it it makes complete sense. Yeah, I mean, like I said, this thing is this thing is accurate. Yeah, it describes you well. Um, basic fear being worthless. If that's Jeez. not the truest thing of me, I feel like you're only reading the negative aspects. No, of this. no, the next one I'm going to read is the basic desire, and that's okay. to feel valuable and worthwhile. Which is funny because the news that I was telling you before we started recording was like me and my me and Lucy are going to sit down tomorrow and kind of talk about like goals and moving forward and some of the opportunities that have kind of come up for me. Is People like, don't know who Lucy is. Lucy is my boss, but boss sounds like she doesn't like the term boss because she's much more friendly than that. It's just my friend who happens to call the shots in the clinic that I work in. Got you. Lucy's your boss. Lucy's, Go ahead. Lucy's awesome. Yeah. So <laughs> we're going to talk about opportunities that are coming and stuff. And at the end of the day, it's just like, I want to be valuable to Therapy South and the clinic. That's like the bottom line. So it's funny to see that in writing, not two hours after I had that thought. Hmm. But also Enneagram three with a two wing, which is truly what I am in quotes, the charmer. Hmm. Yeah, so, for sure. I mean, old school Southern charm always wins. But it's not like, it, <laughs> okay, but charmer, <laughs> what is what exactly does that mean? I, I don't know. I'm just taking it how I interpret it. When me and Krista started dating in high school, I was much larger, as y'all found out in earlier episodes. So I didn't win her over with my looks or my body build at all. I used hmm. to joke with her saying that I won her with my charm. I mean, definitely wasn't your looks. <laughs> no, it still isn't. She's not here for my looks by any means. I wonder which Enneagram types are most happy to read their own Enneagram description. Are you subtweeting me? I can't tell. <laughs> no, I'm not. No, I actually, I was thinking about how excited you were to read certain aspects and then depressed you were to, he- to well, read other aspects. It just made me think of that I'm gonna question. I'm going to come clean. I... I've never read that. 
I've known what I was and just knew that that I was a three wing two and that was the achiever and the giver. And outside mm-hmm. of that, I knew nothing. You need to dive into it. I feel like uh, you would be interested in it. Apparently, I just banged my table. Apparently, I do. There's also areas where you can see the how your personality type matches with other personality types in a relationship. Yeah, so there's that diagram at the top. What is that telling me? Um, does it say growth or stress? Yeah. What is so? It basically means so. There's an arrow pointing from your type. So you're a type three, right? Mm-hmm. What is it pointing to? Uh, it's pointing to the nine for stress. And then to what for the growth? Six. So what that basically means is uh, under stressful conditions or like negative aspects of your emotion, would you would kind of go towards a type nine. That's dope. Whereas you would grow into a six. Ooh, what does that mean? Like you would mature emotionally mature into a six. So I would go to a nine. Does that mean I would seek out a nine? Well, I mean, it's it's not like a hypothetical. It's like there's going to be times in your life where you kind of you're displaying emotional maturity as a type six. So you'll uh, kind of appear to be more of a six when in reality you're a three. I thought and you were telling be, me. And then there'll be other times where you'll be you'll you're kind of like you're not being yourself. It's kind of a bad thing. It's a negative aspect, and you're kind of looking more like a nine. Or the negative aspects of a nine. I thought you were telling me in times of stress, I would go to a nine as far as like. That could be true in some in some that's regards. A, that's what Chris is. She's a nine. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I'm just going to go find the coolest example of who was also a type five. Yeah. Hold on. I'm going to read yours real quick. Intense. That makes sense. <laughs> uh. I'm I'm just gonna pick Albert Einstein. I mean, he was a type five. Hey, your basic fear is being useless. Yeah, or really mm, that, but more specifically, not having enough information to succeed. Basically, so helpless. Yeah, the very next word. Yeah, that makes sense too. Key motivations: want to possess knowledge. Good. Yeah. 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 Pretty much. I was thinking the other day about how how much fear motivates us. Oh gosh, because fear's so powerful. You, I think you, we were talking about this the other day because you were asking about what we were talking about our deepest fears at one point, which is a conversation any best friend should have, right? Definitely. And mine was um, not having enough information. I believe something along those lines. That's kind right? of. A- yeah, it was. And yours was, um, was it underachieving? Yeah, never reaching my full potential. Yeah. So it's funny how it's, a, it's like exactly what the personality type describes. I hate how correct it is. Yeah. What was I thinking about the other day? It was kind of like how much of that was innately in me like genetically and how much of that you know nature versus nurture mm-hmm. how much of that did i learn something i've thought about a good bit i wish there was a simple way of figuring that out yeah i wish there was too i wonder if they've done studies that kind of look at parents enneagrams i mean there's kind of a new thing but mm-hmm. 
parents versus their offspring and how their numbers correlate to each other. Yeah. I, and it, I wonder if they've tracked it over a time period. Like, can people evolve? I'm sure they can. It's probably rare, but... Like, can you change your personality yeah, type? Basically? Yeah, like, had I taken this in high school, would I be a three-wing two? I don't... I, I'm not going to pretend that I'm deep into Enneagram literature. So, please, if somebody's out there listening to this and I'm wrong, please correct me. But it seems to me like what they're saying is that... Um, once you're a type, you're always a type. Like mm-hmm. you don't change. That's you might, really cool. That's the whole idea behind the growth and stress thing. You might exhibit other person, other personality traits from other types, mm-hmm. but you'll always be a three. So, but the best I can do to try and answer that question is to think back about my earliest memories of thinking the way that I think now. And so that, I mean, I guess going back to elementary school, I'm thinking about being like it. I just didn't want to be ridiculed for being stupid or like <laughs> not making a good grade on a test. Some of that has to do with my parents being very, you know, they stressed a lot of, you know, grades and making good grades and studying and doing your best, that kind of thing. Mm hmm. And and some of it, I don't know, was probably constructed by by me, but I just never wanted to not have the information. And the other thing was, I always wanted to be able to have conversations with people older and smarter than me. Mm-hmm. Like as a kid, I wanted to sound like an adult. Does that make sense? And yeah. so, and so, my best effort at doing that was trying to learn, but. You know, I could have done better at that because I didn't really read that much. <laughs> you know, I still don't. Yeah, I, I've tried to get back into it. I I like to learn in other ways, but I, I'll go through phases of reading. But I'll read really boring stuff. Yeah, like the Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows. Yeah, <laughs> like although that was a cool thing. I wasted a lot of time just reading random emotions that don't actually exist. It's funny. I can see you like just sitting down for a long period of time, way long. Like other people would open that up and they'd be like, huh, oh, that's neat. interesting. Close it, it back up. It you just more, leave it open. <laughs> yeah, it happens more at night when you're just like scrolling, you know. But it, was, it yeah. probably was in one of those time periods where I was fasting from social media and it was just like, nah, I'd better look at something. So Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows seems like a good place to start. Yeah. What um, was, can you try and do, can you try and think of a similar um, memory that I had brought up? Yeah. Like, yeah. I was actually okay. going to go back to that. So mine was probably the whole achieving thing was something I already had, but it was definitely reinforced by my parents. It was, I grew up making good grades. And when I got to like middle school and high school, I was was like hanging out, playing sports, doing whatever. My parents wouldn't let me slip. They were like, you're to this, to that, to let this and that get to you. And so I didn't want to disappoint them. And based on the standards that they had set for me. Their standards far exceeded the standards that I had set for myself at that time. And so I was not going to live below it. 
So I did everything I could to essentially achieve what they had put forth on me. And so at that point, I kind of learned, it's like you've got to set standards and you've got to work towards things if you want to achieve anything. And so the sense of achievement came in parallel with high standards. Hmm. I don't know if that makes any sense whatsoever, but... No, I'm following you. That makes sense. So it was like then that high standards started being a thing. It was like, my God, their standards far outweigh mine, so I've got to reevaluate where I'm at. And so I was just... It was ingrained in you to... Yeah, it was then ingrained into me. And what they always pushed was... Well, I'm not going to say it was them, but it was like, you're too good or just don't be a waste of talent, essentially. Dude, okay, that's a big one. I'm sure that's one that a lot of people can relate to. Yeah, that was something I'll never forget, like, being told that. Like, don't be a waste of talent. I'm like, oh, my God. That's like the heaviest words you could ever say to a junior in high school. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, and, you know, I feel like to an extent anybody who's – I don't want to downplay it because it's very important as a parent, like, to tell your kid that. But everybody, to some extent, has heard it. Yeah, for sure. Unless you're really – I mean, I'm sure a lot of people who – have had really tough upbringings, have not mm-hmm. heard that. You know what I mean? It's probably yeah. a big motivating factor for, um, you know, people going down the wrong path is is not hearing that they're actually capable of doing anything greater. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's the thing. I always, it, it's funny that you say that because that's very similar to what my, my parents used as a motivating factor for right. me. My mom so, specifically said that to me. Really? All, she still does all the time. That sounds about right. Whenever I'm doubting myself, she's like, <laughs> you have no idea what you're capable of. <laughs> Classic. Like, oh, my gosh. But Jenny always has the right words to say. Yeah. But yeah. it definitely it definitely shifted from when I was younger. It was like, don't be a disappointment to now. It's like, set your standards high and go. Yeah. So I don't know if that answered it, but... No, that does for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, you, we could we could spend a long a long time on Enneagram mm-hmm. stuff if we wanted to, but I'm not gonna do that. Um, oh yeah, so I was watching a video the other day. On Have TikTok? you heard of? No, on YouTube. Ah. We can talk about that too. <laughs> I thought you had gone to Gosh. the next one on the list. No, I, I hate TikTok. We can talk about that too. <laughs> no, you don't. Gosh. Can we just okay? Wait a second. Can we hash this out real quick? Yeah. TikTok is the most cringy form of. It's not even comedy. It's Ooh, it's lazy, is what it is. I hate it so much. However, it's cringy. However, you still have the app on your phone. How do you know that? <laughs> Lucky guess. The only you know the only reason I have the app on my yeah. phone Go is so that I can open out the corner. No, so that I can open up videos that you and Maynard and Josh send to me without having to open up a browser. I just, it'll open up on the app. I should delete it. I really should. I'm ashamed of it. <laughs> no, it's because, because it's a guilty pleasure. Okay, but how it. many how many TikTok videos are, and if you've watched TikTok videos, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It'll be some random dude in a room or girl and they're pointing up at some text that's at the top of the screen. And it's like, which one is better? Oh, whatever. 
fill in the blank, and then it'll show pictures of uh, of like Michael Jordan versus Allen Iverson, and then it'll be like some cringy techno music <laughs> behind it, and it and then it'll be some guy doing something that he thinks is funny at the end of the video, and it's just stupid. Are you done? Yeah, I'm done. All I'm saying is TikTok is a diamond in the rough kind of thing. You take it as a challenge. You look through a hundred videos, and then when you finally get to one really funny one, you're like, I did it. I found one. And then you share it with your buddies, and they're like, you know what? That is funny. I'm going to keep TikTok, too, so I can do the same thing. Okay. If Okay. Well, if TikTok is a diamond in the rough, I would rather just go to the jewelry store <laughs> because there are so many better places to find comedy. <laughs> like, I mean, just go to the go to YouTube and type in Norm Macdonald and watch any video. He's You're one of the greatest. You're such a Norm Homer. I think he's underrated, but he's also <laughs> overrated at the same time. I read his book, so I'm a little bit partial to Norm Macdonald. Well, go back to YouTube. Tell me what okay. you're going to tell me. Okay, Nate Bergatsky. He Oh, Josh is going to see him, by the way. Lucky I'm guy. upset. Anyways, that, that guy is so funny. But, okay, now that we're done with the TikTok thing, I've, mm-hmm. I think I've said what I needed to say. Yeah. Okay, I, I go on YouTube tangents sometimes. And um, another guy that I like to watch is Jordan Peterson. Um, I read his book called um, uh, 12 Rules for Life, An Antidote to Chaos. Great yeah. book. Highly recommend. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, he's just a uh, really extremely brilliant um, psychologist. Uh, and he was talking oh, so about... so he's saying, not a comedian? No, no, this is not related to comedy. <laughs> wow, that threw me a loop. Well, yeah, I mean, you told me to bring up what I was about to talk about earlier. Yeah, I don't know how Nate Bargatze had anything to do with it. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> anyways, so he was talking about gender differences, and uh, it was kind of very, um, what's the word, topical to mm-hmm. what we were talking about um, sure. in episode one, I think. And something I thought was interesting, he was talking about the temperament differences between men and women. It's actually well studied by psychologists. Like really? Really well studied, yeah. Um, they did like huge numbers of studies on men, on gender differences in different aspects of temperament, meaning um, amongst other things, are you interested in people more or are you interested in things more? Okay, and that's like very, that's exactly what we were talking about in episode one mm-hmm. um, about the hobbies thing. And um, of all the categories that they analyzed, you know, like aggression is one of them. Um, men were about 60% more likely to be more aggressive than women, for example. But of all those categories, the biggest difference was interest in things versus interest in people. That was the most well-defined difference between men and women. Hmm. You know, women were uh, vastly more interested in people and men were vastly more interested in things. And it makes a lot of sense about how society is constructed today. I know some would argue that um, these are all false constructs, you know, men being CEOs of companies and women being nurses and teachers. But the psychology experts would argue that that's not at all true. It's actually just a result of our innate biology. Hmm. So on that point, there's 
the teachers and the nurses are seeking roles that are more people oriented. Yeah. In that way. Yeah. Whereas the CEOs are are yeah. more interested in things. They're not as interested in people. Huh. Yeah. That's just so in general. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that explains why we were asking the question of why do men like hobbies more than women? You know, I mean, I feel like that pretty adequately answers it. You know, yeah. men in general uh, are just more interested in things, inanimate things. Yeah. Hmm. I'd say that so, does give pretty good answers. I don't know. It was just interesting. He's a he's a very um if you if you like psychology or or yeah, if you, I mean if you like psychology or even philosophy, he's a good guy to look up, Jordan Peterson. I'm not afraid to check it out. Yeah. So do you wanna do you have an idiom for today? Yeah, I actually had a patient say one the other day that cracked me up. Oh, for real? Yeah, we were talking about uh, it was some exercise that he thought was dumb or useless, and he said this is like a screen door on a submarine. <laughs> and it, it cracked me up, essentially saying that because this there's no has outside? no point. Yeah, this there this shouldn't exist. That one's okay. That one's pretty straightforward. I like yeah. it though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I feel like it away. I feel like the list is endless for those. Yeah, it is. I and when people say stuff off off the cuff like that, it cracks me up. You connect He's, really well with it. Yeah, he said it with no facial expression. Just he didn't expect any type of response from me whatsoever. He just said it. I was like, well, that was golden. I have I have a paradox. This I feel like this is up your alley a little bit. Kind of. Okay, a hundred gram potato <laughs> is ninety nine percent water. Yeah. If it dries to become ninety eight percent water, how many grams will it now weigh? Careful. Yeah. Hold up. It's 100 grams. It's 100 grams. Okay. Uh huh. That's its mass. Yep. But 99% of that mass is water. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now it dries a little bit and now it's only 98% water. How much will it weigh now? <sighs> I don't want to get this one wrong and it sounds stupid. No, you're not. I prom uh, there, most people will get this wrong who listen to this. I'm going to say that it it either weighs... N I would venture to say if somebody gets this right who hasn't heard it before, you're well, well above the national average of intelligence. I'll say that. I'm going to say it still weighs 100 grams. No. You know why I said that? Mm -hmm. Well, no. you could probably guess why. I'm sure you have a reason, yeah. Yeah, I've got reasoning, it. but it was my safest reasoning because I couldn't do the math in my head. <laughs> okay. Tell me the answer. That's fair enough. It's 50 grams. That's so, nut. Why? It's crazy, isn't it? So think about this. Since the potato is 99% water, yeah. the dry components are only 1% of that mass. Okay? Yeah. So it started so at one gram. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so say the potato started at a hundred grams. Mm -hmm. That means that it contains one gram of dry material, like you just sure. said. Okay. Sure. Now it's dried out to 98% water. Yep. That one gram of dry material now accounts for 2% of the potato's weight. So now one gram is 
a 50 grams. So that must be the new weight of the potato. Okay, we, think about it this we way. We can't accept that as fact, though. No, we can't. Think about it this way, okay? Dude. The one gram of dry material accounted for, okay, 99% of its mass at first. Now yeah. you've effectively doubled that. Okay, so now you've, if you've dried it out, if you dried it out by 1%, now you've decreased it by a factor of two. You've decreased the total weight by a factor of two. Does that make um, sense? No. Well, I'm a visual guy. I really need to see this. Well, I don't know if I can explain it to you in a better way than that. This is frustrating. I, You know, a smart man told me once that if you can't explain it in simplest terms, then you don't know it very well. I won't take his <laughs> advice, and I won't say that I must know, not know it very well then. Well, that's fair. So we'll take that. And Thank I guess God. we'll I guess we'll end with a question mark. Man, that makes me feel stupid. that kind of hurts. That makes me feel so dumb. <laughs> Achiever. <laughs> yeah. God bless. Oh man. But sorry to do that to you, folks. Well, I mean, I'm sure there's probably some smart people in our audience who know yeah. this. Josh is going to call me and call me an idiot, probably. Oh, yeah. Maynard is going to listen to it. And he's going to be like, "You're stupid, idiots." Whatever. I don't know. It makes sense to me, though. Shut up. No, it doesn't. Yeah, it does. All right. I'm going to study. <laughs> okay. I really am <laughs> going to study. <laughs> I bet. All right. Well, that concludes episode three. We'll see you guys in the next one. See you.